0: Today's guest, Jochen van der Meer, co-founder of TheyDo.
1: Figure out your go-to market, really hone in on how it works so that you can actually scale and then build a leadership team that can support everyone else that you hire in your team. Because we went from like 10 to 50 people, we'll probably go to 200 over the next six months. So that foundation needs to be really, really solid. We hired Matt when we were just 20 people. We are a remote company can talk about building a remote company. That's also the interesting angle we have. Uh, we were that before COVID. We were it after COVID. We never had an office. We never will have an office. But we hired Matt because we believe like we're still a company and a company is made out of people. And if those people can work together in an amazing way, then we're going to be an amazing business. And the best talent is not located in Amsterdam, where we founded the company. There are great people here. But there are so many other great people around the world. So, bringing that together, getting a whole set of different nationalities, getting a diverse team together, is going to be essential in our growth. So, we needed someone to lead that early on who has seen great in amazing companies. Well, you mentioned them, right? It's Airbnb, Atlassian, and Personia. I think like they are definitely top ten in terms of like how they handle people, how they think about design, and how they think about scaling. So, that was an amazing CV to do. But I think the truth here is the way I think about hiring employees is like, one, yes, people can get excited about the mission and they love what we do. And like you, like you can see why it's important. You can see why it's obvious and also why it's really hard to accomplish, right? So there's a lot of good stuff going at do that people get excited about. But We started this out of our intrinsic motivation and people who are joining our company have their own intrinsic motivation. And that might not be like, Oh, the future of journey management, they can see it. They can get excited about it. But what is also excited that this is a step change in their career. This is a step change to what's next. Well, maybe there is nothing next if we go really big, but like this is a major step. It's a risk reward thing. And I think you need to be in your mind, ready to take that step. And if you look at Matt CV, he has, you know, climbed the ranks as a people leader in these companies, but he's had never been the top dog. And now he got the option to do that. And he has seen what amazing look like in these companies. And that's exactly what you do as a, as an early stage company, right? I don't want to have a, um, you know, VP people of a 20,000 company, 20,000 employee company joining us. Because it just won't match what we do. So he has seen growth stages at all these companies. He has been under leaders that were phenomenal. And now he gets the chance to do it and directly works with, in this case, Charles, my CTO. He used to run our people department. Um, and together they run it. But really, like Matt has has done an amazing job so far. And his incentives, I can't speak for his incentives, of course, but are always there on a personal level, as well as believing in the mission. And I think that is what makes makes great teams. It's like, if you're transparent about like, what is gonna be next? What are we setting you up for after they do? And we had those conversations. And when you believe that you can be doing each other a service there, that's the best match. And I think that's the way I think about all the hires we make, even for the individual contributors. That's That's the right way to think about it.
0: Jochem has a background in design and has two co-founders launching a SaaS business from an agency and now raised a good Series A last year when other companies were not able to raise and we talked about his perspective perspective of a founder. um, What is the priority after raising a Series A and how to build an outstanding company in really getting outstanding talent? A lot of founders talk about it, but Jochem actually really was able to hire outstanding talent for his company stage. So a lot of food for thought in there and um, great specific tips and perspectives. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change that. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. To the people's side. Welcome, Jochen. Jochen, so we have um, a, a cool podcast today regarding um what what you do with they, they do and also um how you built the company because i think your um director vp of people reached out to me as a listener and told me hey um, cool podcast i also have a cool guest for you and i really appreciate that right that was really nice now you're sitting here um so maybe we start a bit more rega- uh, with some context about you
1: yeah so our people leader is great his name is matt deserves a cheer from uh, from our end. He was actually really early to join our company, but maybe we can can dig in on on why that is and and how we're thinking about that. Um I have a background in design myself and today I live in Amsterdam, so that's also where I'm calling from and speaking to you from been here for 15 years. I have three kids, lovely wife, enjoy life a lot, but <laughs> what I enjoy most is the mission that we're on. We're trying to well, basically changed the way people work in an enterprise organization, putting the customer at the heart. Nothing new, you would say, but really hard to do at scale. And before we had started this product company, we were a high-end consulting firm and we were helping large companies like Fortune 500 type businesses to coach their teams train their teams to create a culture of customer centricity bring in principles of design thinking user research human-centered design journey mapping blueprinting all these kind of tools we taught the teams to use and what we realized was to really do this at scale and to make sure that you can impact the experience together because again like everyone is focused on experience, delivering experience and making the experience work. And it's so much more than the product experience. So delivering that entire customer experience really takes people from CX, service design, even even like HR, right? But at some point, like product, marketing, everyone has a piece of that pie or has a piece of the puzzle to solve. And the customer journey, or we can talk about employee journeys or candidate journeys in the context of today, is the, the most useful thing to get everyone aligned but also to get executive buy-in. Now, most of the companies we work with have hundreds of these journeys and to manage the entire experience using them, well, you need a proper system. And there wasn't anything out there. So we built something for ourselves, for the agency. <laughs> and then our customers said, hey, uh, well, clients actually, right? Consultancies of clients. Our clients said, can we, can we actually keep the product? Can we keep it? Can we use it? <laughs> and we we're like, ooh, okay, scary. Uh, you're after two years <laughs> exactly and we were like okay is this a big problem and it turned out it was and we made the decision to build a product company ditch the consulting firm transition into becoming a global player in the journey management space and here we are and how would you define a, a journey
0: independent of employee or customer journey do you have some attributes defining it
1: of course, there's many um, ways people practice journey mapping. Right, it's uh, it's not something we invented. There are standard practices. It's been around for for thirty years, I think, almost maybe longer even today. Um, in customer experience the customer journey is usually what what you're mapping but also for for people teams for hr teams you know think about like the candidate experience right and the talent experience and the onboarding journey and maybe like your hiring journey those are all what we would say journeys it's like literally taking the perspective of your candidate of your talent of your customer walking through their steps that they take that they have and not even like all the touch points with you but also the things that they do behind the scenes, right? They talk to friends, who should I join this company? What do you think about it? They're going to go on Google, like figure out, they go to Glassdoor, all these things like are part of their journey of, you know, becoming your employee, if you will. And to understand like where the friction points are, what they're thinking about, what they're doubting about, where it's going really well. And also combining that with the data you have on the touch points, you do measure, that is what we call a customer journey, an employee journey, a candidate journey. And then you talk about the attributes, right? And there's a whole methodology to thinking about how to structure them, how to think about them. Um, And we're building software so you can have your version of that. And any company has has a different type of setup for thinking about these things do they think about pains or friction points or opportunities, and we mm-hmm. basically create a system of building blocks so you can start managing this together.
0: That totally makes sense because when I visualize a journey, I have two layers. One is, let's say, the interface, which has the touch points with the customer, the employee, which is more likely to end up in some kind of an experience. Yeah? And then in parallel to that, on the background maybe, there is a chain of processes or steps, logical um, trees, I don't know. Yeah, um, and right. these two interact with each other and actually the on an abstract level, the, the journey on the background, which is the, the process map or the process steps, um, then translate something into a customer experience, but the customer or the employee doesn't necessarily see what's behind, they just get the result from it. And I think All that's- right. That, that's how how, how I, I thought about this. And also when, when looking about candidate experience and so on, um, I think that's that's smart to have a, a software for that. So um, you as a designer started that company. That's really cool because I think that's not so common, right? That somebody with a design background um, starts founding something because usually it's a, I don't know, CTO business constellation and somebody throwing money onto it and say, do it or I, I don't know. Um but there are good examples out there, like with Airbnb, what you can build with, with with that constellation, right? So how is your constellation in the founding team? And how did you yeah. find your role?
1: Well, finding is a is a good way to put it because as I mentioned, we transitioned from a consultancy into a product company, right? So it was more of a um of an evolution rather than something like we're gonna start this and we're gonna figure it out. We've been part of the problem. We've been experiencing the problem ourselves. We've been creating the problem ourselves by creating all these project-based journey maps and, you know, like nice results, one-off things. So we've been doing this for quite some time. And when I say we, I have two co-founders. So Martin is a strategist from uh, his background. And Charles, there's your CTO. He's an engineer from from his background. So together we ran this consultancy firm with a few others where we actually, you know, did this transformational work and moving into product was therefore easy for us because we had already the engineering experience, we had the strategy piece and the design piece in place. So in the first days we ran the company ourselves. We created it, we thought about it, we marketed it, we built it, we implemented it. It was just the 3 of us, right? The way we we started and then we started to build the team. So that is the cool thing when you have you know those three parts of the business covered in your founding team, it really is the initial set of the business and then you start to build that up. And having a design background is really nice, but what, what you just explained on like how you think about that employee journey, it's exactly right. Like I'm a trained service designer, and what you're describing is like the front stage, the touch points the, the customer or the employee has with you, and then the backstage, what you don't see. But the cool thing is, which you also maybe said, but didn't explicitly say is like, who owns experience? And companies today think they own the experience, but it's wrong. The customer owns the experience. The employee owns the experience. The candidate owns the experience. And you try to make it amazing, seamless, effortless, frictionless, whatever it is your company is designed to do. But that is what you try to achieve, but you don't own it. You influence it, but you don't own it. And I think that's the, the cool thing distinction and and a lot of companies are now waking up to this idea. So if we don't own it, we can influence it and we need to do it together. In case
0: you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. But that's complicated. Uh, Maybe not complicated. Let's say simple, not easy. I think is a a, a quite good term that's that's, um, Mm -hmm. describing it because I think once you're able to jump into the customer, employee or candidate experience, at some point it really makes sense. But to really translate that into actions and processes, setups, communication internally, how everything is set up to get to that outcome, to that ideal outcome. That's really tough, right? Because people need to be aligned. Department needs to be aligned. When a company is changing all the time, people leave, people come. Um, there's other priorities. Something unforeseen comes up. Right. So there are so many variables that can just mess up a great experience um, that I think it's, it's not so easy to build and then maintain. Yeah. And also the customer perspectives might change. So you also need to adapt to that. And the question is how fast and also what to listen to. Right. And what not. <laughs> um, so you also went through um, several growth stages. Um, I think you also got venture capital, as I saw it. Right. So um, how did that transition your company
1: so when we started we had to make the the first transition which was from consulting to uh, product which typically is really hard but you know there's the success cases as well like milchimp is pivoted from a consulting business to become a full product well quite successful as we know uh, and there's many more, so it, it could be done. But we definitely needed help on like, okay, what does it take to to build a product company? We're first-time founders. We had no clue, uh, but we started digging in, reading, meeting people, and that is also how we met our first group of angels that said, okay, here's a bit of money. Stop selling your time because that's basically what you do as a consulting firm. Without being like degenerative about it, I mean, it's a beautiful way to to make business, to make a revenue, to make people happy. But you're selling time. People buy you for your time. And if you don't work, you don't get paid. It's as simple as that. So we had to pivot that. But it was hard because that was where our revenue came from. That's how we built the first version of data. All the profits went into developing this product on a WordPress backend. So that was the first big change that we did. We got the angel investments. That was our what we call the pre-seed round to, to get us going and to make that transition. Stop consulting, start building products, start selling licenses. That's what we did. And then we did our first venture ven- capital round to once we, when the initial product was good enough to really go out to the market, um, that set us up for success. So, and again, it was like in the Dutch market, it was small checks, but it was enough to get us going to hire the first 10 employees and to build a first product team and to really start to expand because we are serving the biggest companies in the world all the way from Johnson & Johnson, NCR, Google, like those kind of companies are doing this. Uh, And they have, as you can imagine, quite some things they want to do with this and Mm -hmm. quite some ways of working they want to support with this. And if this is a mission-critical piece of the software, well, we've got some work to do. And that's also what we saw when Datu took off. It grew really, really fast last year. And that was also the moment that we said, okay, now we need to start building this, this out tremendously well and that's when we when we did our series a and got 12 million in the bank to start building the proper team building the last leadership year. team last year yeah november last year
0: wow so from timing you didn't have the best circumstances and still did a, a quite good round i would say so first of all congrats and um, what do you think why could you why, why have you been able to raise money and maybe many others out there had to lay off
1: so truly doing something differentiated, right? This hasn't been done before. And even if we call it journey management today, whether you're in customer experience or employee experience, that's really the starting point. What we're actually doing is building an entire experience design system that acts as the backbone for a modern company that wants to be uh, delivering on that experience or is, is a customer centric company. So this is a huge, almost like a tectonic shift that is happening in the market where all these large companies, but also like the, the modern tech enabled companies are, are going into this idea of managing the experience together. And it wasn't an idea anymore. We had the customers, we had the revenue, it was growing and it was growing out of hand. So I think the simplest way to put it is like if you're solving something that people really, really find hard and have difficulties with, then you have something that actually is very valuable for for a venture capital firm to say yes to. Um, And then despite market conditions, and I think like the investor we got, Blossom they're called, they're fantastic, right? They don't think about like the little quirks in the market. They think about like, is this gonna be like the next thing over the next decade? And do we believe that putting the journey in the heart of the operation is actually gonna work? And they did. Of course, we talked to other people and there were some other investors that also saw the same, but they were like so aligned with the vision and so aligned with what we're doing that it was a very good match for us to do it. And that's why we did. it. So that's also how I think about raising, right? It's it's not the goal. It's really like Mm. a tactic to get the best people on board, to have the network, to have the money, to make the investments that you need to make, but it's never the goal right? We're not changing the valuation here. We're chasing an amazing outcome to actually change the way companies are working on the experience.
0: Exactly. And I think it should also be um, really value adding to get money now, right? And you should be able to know to do exactly what to do with it um, because then I think, yeah, but I,
1: I'm not going to lie, right? It's, it's really hard. Like we are doing this for the first time. We're learning as yeah. we go and we're doing an amazing job as a whole team right now to to go through this. But VC money comes with pressure. It comes with expectations. And, you know, I'm quite ambitious. I think we can do this. I want to do this. So no doubt that this was the right step. But running your own consulting firm profitable from day one, where you have 10 people, is very easy (laughs) compared to what we're doing here. So, yeah, it's quite fun. But. I'm not gonna lie it's not like the easiest thing I've done in my life it's very simple where we need to go like you said it's not easy yeah and um, Jochem
0: so for me when I talked to Matt I thought like wow um, really cool guy first of all super nice but also um, very strong in how he thinks about certain things and also what he brings to the table Um, so just for me yeah as a I would say um, talent acquisition pro- professional, I would say a lot of people and companies out there um, would like to hire a person like Matt. Yeah.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: Maybe even in a, in a later stage where things get more crazy, he was at Airbnb, Atlassian, Personio before. How did you end up being able to attract someone like Matt? Because to be honest, for a company that is going through serious A now for the first time, this could also be like maybe not interesting enough and so on. So I think a lot of things, um, need to be really right that you are able to close candidates on that level in that early stage. Yeah. So maybe you can share a bit of <laughs> your, your tactics or w- what, what you did, because I think that's valuable. Um, for any, any listener out there, because a lot of people would like to do exactly like that, what you did in hiring.
1: <laughs> right. So we're lucky to have Matt. Let me put it there. Um, he's amazing. And I think like what I said, like after series A, what you do as a company is do two things, like figure out your go-to market, really hone in on how it works so that you can actually scale and then build a leadership team that can support everyone else that you hire in your team. Because we went from like, 10 to 50 people will probably go to 200 over the next six months. So that foundation needs to be really, really solid. We hired Matt when we were just 20 people. We are a remote company. You can talk about building a remote company. That's also the interesting angle we have. Uh, We were that before COVID. We were after COVID. We never had an office. We never will have an office. But we hired Matt because we believe like we're still a company and a company is made out of people. And if those people can work together in an amazing way, then we're going to be an amazing business. And the best talent is not located in Amsterdam, where we founded the company. There are great people here, but there are so many other great people around the world. So bringing that together, getting a whole set of different nationalities, getting a diverse team together is going to be essential in our growth. So we needed someone to lead that early on who has seen great in amazing companies. Well, you mentioned them, right? It's Airbnb, Atlassian, and Personia. I think like they are definitely top 10 in terms of like how they handle people, how they think about design, and how they think about scaling. So that was an amazing CV to do. But I think the truth here is the way I think about hiring employees is like, One, yes, people can get excited about the mission and they love what we do. And like you, like you can see why it's important. You can see why it's obvious and also why it's really hard to accomplish, right? So there's a lot of good stuff going at Deidu that people get excited about. But we started this out of our intrinsic motivation. And people who are joining our company have their own intrinsic motivation. And that might not be like, oh, the future of journey management. They can see it. They can get excited about it. But what is also excited that this is a step change in their career. This is a step change to what's next. Well, maybe there is nothing next if we go really big, but like this is a major step. It's a risk reward thing. And I think you need to be in your mind ready to take that step. And if you look at Matt's CV, he has, you know, climbed the ranks as a people leader in these companies, but he's had never been the top dog. And now he got the option to do that. And he has seen what amazing look like in these companies. And that's exactly what you do as a, as an early stage company, right? I don't want to have a, um, you know, VP people of a 20,000 company, 20,000 employee company joining us because it just won't match what we do. So he has seen growth stages at all these companies. He has been under leaders that were phenomenal. And now he gets the chance to do it and directly works with, in this case, Charles, my CTO. He used to run our people department um, and together they run it. But really like Matt has has done an amazing job so far and his incentives, I can't speak for his incentives, of course, but are always there on a personal level as well as believing in the mission. And I think that is what makes, makes great teams. It's like if you're transparent about like what is going to be next, what are we setting you up for? after they do and we had those conversations and when you believe that you can be doing each other a service there that's the best match and i think that's the way i think about all the hires we make even for the individual contributors that's that's the right way to think about it
0: outstanding um so i think a lot of founders don't have this um, reflection on thinking about it because what i see is often everybody of course, is super proud of what they achieve. And as a founder, you get a lot of, um, I would say recognition and at some point you maybe also get a kind of a unrealistic picture of reality versus compared to how others maybe see you versus you see yourself, how others see you. And this could end up in some really unrealistic expectations in terms of Not just the requirements, but also in terms of ability to close certain candidates, to also having a certain empathy empathy towards um, the environment and also the situation, plus also the candidate needs, plus my own. Yeah, And I think that you just speak so reflected about it shows that you uh, really put thoughts into it. Um, when you said you've never been in a stage before like this where you can rely on previous experience. So that's quite outstanding.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Thank you. And, and, and I like that. But to be fair, like that's also one of the reasons why we hired a people leader so early on. It's like hire people that are 10x better than you are, have the experience. That's how you can build a phenomenal company. Of course, Yochan, I'm the CEO. That's the so I have,
0: yeah. so some people talk what, about it. What is it the difference? You really did it. Yeah, yeah just people just talk <laughs> about it. I hear this all the time, but you really did it. <laughs> and you, yeah. you were able to do it, right?
1: <laughs> so it's good. Rex, right, right, right. Those two things need to be true. Yeah. <laughs> so, But yeah, he, when, when you hire these kind of people, you want them to be really good at something that you yourself are not. But I do have a really high bar for quality and my other co-founders have as well. And I think that is a really nice thing to have because those people in the leadership team will be hold against that bar, but also can can set it with us. And we keep on raising the bar as we go and as we grow, right? If you look at our engagement survey, you will also see like the the recent set of talent we hired. Their engagement survey scores were higher than than at the beginning, because that was like people who started to become Part of they do because they found us, they knew us, and now we're very deliberate in how we are hiring people. And that is also a result of that. But it starts with getting the trust, giving the trust, and then letting them execute against the strategy rather than to you know look at all the little details they're doing and say like, no, should do it like this because what do I know about people management? I learned a ton <laughs> over the years. I know a lot more right now, but in the beginning I didn't.
0: Okay, Erfim, so one big question I think that is really um, discussed from different angles. Remote work, do you think it's a superpower or a risk?
1: No, I think it's both. In our case, we were always remote. So it became natural to grow this way. We don't need to consider like going back to the office or bringing in some hybrid policies. So that is, that is the easy part. But it's also like all things of remote work are true we get to hire talent across the world. We've built this European team. We're now setting up U S Canada and Mexico, like our people in those teams. So we're building a whole new time zone, which is a challenge because it's lonely for some of these early hires there because there are not many folks around in the afternoon. Right? So those things are true, but in terms of talent, it's fantastic to have such a wide variety of people, from different walks in life, different nationalities to really bring different perspectives. So and, and also for us to pick the best talent on the, the roles that we hire for. So that is that is the superpower of it. And I think everyone will agree to that. But what I like about being remote is that we are actually able to do a ton of work that, especially in product and engineering, where a lot of deep work is necessary. Well, I think the office is just not the best place to do that. The... The challenges around remote work are also true, right? We have an employer of record. We start to pay salaries in all these different countries. And, you know, that is that is costly. And getting people all together is also costly. It's, it takes a lot of time to arrange. But we make a real effort to do that. Like last week, we had our offsite. We call it offsite, but it's kind of an onsite because we bring everyone <laughs> together. Um, but it's like bringing 50 people to one city to spend a week there with everything that needs to be arranged for that. That is, that is almost a full-time job. And we do it twice a year, right? And I hope we can, can keep it. We even brought in customers. So there's challenges, but not things that we can't overcome. Um, but it's definitely not a cost cutting strategy that you might read somewhere or some sometimes, but like to answer the, the other spicy thing, um, we'll probably never have an office. We might want to create hubs and we do give people like the option to, to buy a license for a WeWork or whatever kind of like um, um, remote office uh, and we pay for that. That's fine. If you don't have the option to work from home, you can still work remote from another place. That's fine. Um, but I don't think data will ever have an office. Maybe we'll create some hubs to gather people because that social connection is essential. We also invest in local gatherings for the product team or the go to market team and smaller groups of the company coming together. So it definitely, I don't know, maybe it's even more expensive than to just rent an office building and put everyone in. But yeah, I'm a big believer of remote because so far we are successful in executing against that strategy and bringing people in and, you know, our employee satisfaction is high our engagement is high. Um, even our onboarding MPS is 9 plus right Right now so we even crack that nut right now
0: in case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn and in case you really enjoy the show please subscribe I would really appreciate it Um, yeah totally agree and I think also when you think of it as a risk reward thing and then focusing on the reward first and mitigating the risks as good as possible as like saying um, flying people together or doing some local gatherings and also make sure that there is cer- certain um I don't know things that you need to hyper focus on like onboarding Um it's again a journey right the onboarding journey and you need to have certain processes and you need to maybe um, think it more through instead of Oh, there are people sitting office, and they can just go to somebody asking random questions if there are some. yeah, that's maybe a bit more comfortable um but if you get it right from the beginning and know how to to set the expectations what remote work really um I think needs as additional processes or um thorough thoughts, then you can really make it um a superpower. <laughs> By the way, I'm also Uh, 100% remote, um, and I also see it that way. I have people in London, Berlin, Vienna, uh, Italy, Barcelona, and um, it's great because I have so much flexibility, and for me as a talent um, acquisition um, consultancy, I need people on demand. I need them ready when the customer needs it, right? So I better be fast in ramping up and finding the right person or having the right person, right? So more flexibility there is an asset. It's for me a
1: superpower. Um, Yeah. I liked it as well. And, and also like one of the things, if you hire remote and you know you don't have like people that were used to go to the office and now they have to remote and now they want to go back, like every single individual that works at Deidu chose to be remote. It is non-negotiable. And if it's not for you, well then don't apply for the job. So we get automatically some self-selection there. And yeah. we also see that the self-management aspects of the people that we hire is really high. The other thing that I think, and, and we'll obviously start to start to implement this later when we're growing, but we are hiring a little bit more senior folks right now, because if you hire people fresh from college, they need a lot of handholding. And that is that is another challenge that I've seen in remote. We had some interns in the beginning of the company and that didn't work out really well. It was not fair to them because we just didn't have the time to to do all mm. the, the coaching and the training and the, the, and the skill up leveling. We will make an effort into putting practices in place to do that when we scale and grow way beyond a few hundred employees. But that was another decision we made to hire a bit more senior roles and people. So that also that part of the experience was already there with the people that started at Deidu.
0: I totally agree. And um, I had the same issues at customers and at our company. So um what I think is working well, if you just do a lot of shadowing, let them just sit in calls um, and then perceive and then doing debriefs. I think that's the only way to go <laughs> to really ramp up um, interns or I don't know more junior people um, fast because otherwise they really can, uh, can be lost and so on. Um yeah. Okay. Yushum. So do you have any um, final thoughts for the listeners? Um, when, when, when you think of what you learned most as a now founder, first time going into that stage, um, maybe top learnings, um, what what you would recommend to other founders going maybe through that journey once?
1: Yeah. So I know your previous guest or one of your previous guests on the show said something similar. I forgot her name. She was she was a talent acquisition partner of Cavalry Ventures. Oh yeah, Similar. It's like hire someone in a people department early on. We did that with our people leader, Matt, In um, uh, when we were just 20 people. I think that was a par- big part of our success, implementing the processes that we could hire and we could onboard, we could train, but also upskill people, have management practices, have performance reviews, all these things in place to get the best people in and make sure they are happy and excited and have contentment in their job that is one of the the big lessons that we we've done right. Uh, it's really good. Um, the other thing that I've learned along the way is people don't change much. So if there's behavior that is not in line with your values, which are company values with the way you want people to work, um, early on, usually that doesn't change. And because in the early stages, you also don't want to like remove someone from the team that is, you know, making those kind of like bad behaviors and you don't want to be like, you you think it's coachable, but really it's hard. And it's also not your job to train people on, on those kind of like behavioral things. Um, And I think my learning there is that if I notice that in, in people is probably the right way to address it immediately rather than to wait before it escalates. So that's the Mm -hmm. other learning I had. And then, finding this whole experience collaboration space in companies, in large companies, because I know a lot of your listeners are working in modern HR practices at large companies. Focus on those, those journeys, the candidate journeys, the talent journeys, but the entire candidate experience is truly helping them to get more employee satisfaction, which helps with all the other benefits like employer branding, but ultimately gives you, and I know there's some research on this, gives you a better customer experience as well. And investing there is something that I've now seen some companies starting to do, usually like our platform supports the customer experience team and experience design teams. But then when HR comes in, the practice is basically the same. Think about talent first. Think about candidate first. Think about employee first. What do they need and how do we align on that? And I think that is an important trend that, is accelerating right now. And I think a lot of people will benefit from setting up a, a, a deliberate practice on managing the experience, not trying to own it, but managing it and rallying the business around the opportunities that they've seen in, in the talent and the candidate journeys.
0: Cool, thanks. And also one question I always ask any guest, um, who is a guest? I don't know yet, but you know who I should interview as well.
1: Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think you want to interview Matt Mullenweg, if you can get him. He's the founder and CEO of Automatic, the company behind WordPress. I think every remote question I have, like how to build this, how to do this, um, I try to think of like Matt standing on my shoulder with his lovely voice, speaking in my ear. Like, that's not the way to do it. That's the way to do it. He has a podcast as well. I don't know if it's even running right now, but he's written a lot about it and he's very vocal about it. and. They have done the complete true remote thing. I don't even know if they do do gatherings at the at the company level, but as an engineering company, they've done so many things on the people's side, right? That I think he would be amazing to have on your show.
0: I tried to reach out. So I, I also like to do outbound guest sourcing, but also getting recommendations and so on. So this always comes together. So it's really fun. And also I have another question for you. Um, I would really love to listen to you in a podcast go uh, also talking about go to market because you're a remote company selling to enterprises having good logos yeah um my brother runs a podcast on go to market called go to market mastery would you also be open for an episode there
1: sure let's talk about it i can I, I can just connect you. on that
0: <laughs> yeah I, I can just connect you and you will see how um, if it makes sense and, and to do it and if it's out there
1: i will listen to it <laughs> amazing two brothers making podcasts love that thomas
0: yes yes we're also ambitious (laughs) very good like that thanks you it was really nice talking to you and um, i really appreciate your time and insights
1: yeah thanks for having me always my pleasure to be here